What kind of providence? Uh, well, yesterday I got in a car wreck. Uh, <laughs> and it was it was my fault. Wait, after I, was... I talked to you? Uh, no, it was before I talked to you. Wait, I was so what? Okay, I was sitting on the couch waiting for the Advil to kick in when you called yesterday. So, so you had gotten in the accident yesterday before you spoke to me, and you didn't tell me yesterday that you were in a car accident. No, man, you you were you had the, you had good news, and so I didn't want to ruin it. But then <laughs> oh this my morning, goodness. so <laughs> but I was so I was driving my but I was driving Zori's car uh, yesterday because somebody broke into my truck and broke the wind window, and so I wait that happened you know, yesterday. Like, I'll just. No, that happened last weekend. And um, and so I was <laughs> so I, thankfully I wasn't going fast. Um, and I just the sun was in my eyes, and so I had my hand up trying to shield the sun and I covered the red light and I ran it. And uh, but I was only going about 15 miles an hour, and anyways, it was just dumb error. The so this morning though I that meant I had to drive my truck with the broken out window to oh. the uh, worship team meeting. It's really cold, you know. Drive all the way down there and go in. Um, and then I realized, oh shoot, I had I had my earbuds in, but I had left the little case charged, you know, plugged in to charge. Somebody reached through the broken window and stole it. <laughs> the empty. AirPods case. <laughs> so they simultaneously got nothing and made my earbuds. I've got one charge left. So we'll see if they last all the way through our podcast today. <laughs> and here I'm thinking like, oh, you took your earbuds out and Jake Cole was playing in the middle of the worship because you didn't have your case or something. <laughs> no, that would be funny. I was listening to J. Cole yesterday. Um. Did you see the video I sent you with J. Cole? What happened oh, yeah. To that was amazing. Okay, I got to explain this. So, J. Cole is a hip-hop artist. He's looking for um, beats. He's writing a new album, I guess, of some sort. He's looking for tracks. And, you know, when you're in J. Cole's position, you got every well-known producer out there who hands you music. You're, you're not ever hurting for options of music. But because everybody knows what a platinum song sounds like after a pe period of time, all the producers gravitate towards that universe. They all start sounding the same, using the same instruments, um, producing the same rhythms and using the same tempos. And so it's hard to find something after you make it that inspires you because everybody's trying to get a platinum song. When you were making music, platinum music is what comes out of a desire to really speak your heart, right? So you're not necessarily... A, you want to get there to the place you get platinum, but that's the drive is the art and the expression. After you get to where J. Cole is, it's like you got to have another platinum record because you got bills to, you know, you got you got to make right. it, you yeah. know. And so you don't get inspired the same way anymore. And so J. Cole, yeah, that's, that's how MC Hammer ends up. That's how MC Hammer ends up making pumps in a bumps, <laughs> where he's like, "I just got to hit it again." Yep, and yep. you get some trash pumps in a bump pumps in a bump, pumps in a bump. You know, yeah you know and you know it's yeah so the art all artists 
play that game. I was thinking of somebody who didn't do that, and I think it was Jay Z, hip hop artist, the only hip hop artist I know. Well, that's Kanye. Been... Too, he would always. Yeah, fair yeah, enough. He, 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 fair each enough. album would be new, and everybody would be like, "What the heck? What's eight oh eight? It's in hard number eight oh bro yeah great album but you'd be and but everybody was like what are you even thinking then the next thing you know the whole next everybody generation sounds, of like sounds it, just it. like it right so he he's always pushing the edges but yeah you're right jay-z i mean he has all that beyonce money so he might not worry about it quite as much all that champagne money yeah so J. Cole, <laughs> you're right. I ain't you know, question about that. He ain't really worried about it. He, he gets to stay in surviving uh, starving artist mode because Beyonce is so yeah. far ahead of him. Right. <laughs> um so J. Cole is looking for inspiration and he goes and says, Man, I've listened to all this music. Let me just go on YouTube. YouTube, type in J. Cole style beat. And this cat right. had I mean, and people do that. They'll go and produce music that nobody's ever heard of, and they'll, they'll live in their little corner with like 350 subscribers or maybe 15 subscribers, and they'll put the little tracks on there. And he types in J. Cole type beat, finds this artist. First one that pops up is this track, and then he plays. He's like, oh, man, that's inspiring me. And J. Cole writes for like two minutes and 25 seconds just off the top of the dome what that beat made him think. And usually... You have to go through a certain amount of tracks before, as a producer and music and, and somebody does music, you have to go through a certain amount of tracks before you get the stuff that's hot. And so you'll have right. a library of music that you just produced that was inspiring you, that you needed, you know, to make other stuff. And that stuff never makes it out the vault. Right. What J. Cole did was give it to this YouTuber and said, hey, here goes, let me bless you. Take this track. This is something that stay in the vault normally. And I don't want to do that because you out here, you inspired me. And so here, take this beat. It's yours. Um, and the cat, what was it? Like 2.7 million views. Yeah. Just, it went like just blew, blew this guy's career through the roof. It, 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 it was, it went platinum almost three times. <laughs> right. Right. So it the song went platinum a third time any any day now, I'm sure. Absolutely. When more people feel I it's found incredible. Out, yeah. And, well, okay. I thought it was yeah, it's incredible because J. Cole really spoke his heart on that one. Yeah. Right. He he said I mean, I'm up poetically here. speaking, it it's fantastic. It's not a fully produced track, right? No, like, it was just a verse. No hook. There's nothing right. It's just a verse. And Long so verse. <laughs> yeah. But so as it stands for what it is, it's it is top notch. For it, it's for not him? really it's not really a fully it's not really a track though. I mean, it's like a it's more of a, of a spoken word in that sense because it doesn't have a chorus, it doesn't have a hook, it doesn't have the the normal things that you would put together to make a complete song. Instead, it's a really well formed short poem yeah. that he raps over a beat it got me thinking j cole looking for inspiration doesn't get it from all the people who have all the money who have all the gear who have all the production and this one cat in his basement was like man let me make this track i'm gonna produce it just gonna put it out there on the internet for people who might be he didn't think i wonder if j cole's gonna right. find it 
He's like, I'm just totally. going to make this track and just put it out there and see who might be inspired from it. And when you put it out there, it's free. Like any, nobody has to pay you for it at that point. And so you don't know what you're going to make off of it at all. If anything, just trying to get some attention. He never thought that the person who inspired him to produce the track would actually be the person who inspires him to make money off the track. Right. right. <laughs> and, and those, you just don't see that loop. And I was thinking to myself, I was like, Jason, how do we do that? It took J. Cole time and, and production from his engineers and it took him spilling his his heart through the, the pencil, the pen that he was writing with. So that's something. But it didn't cost J. Cole really anything. And that would have ended up in a vault. No one would have ever heard it. Yeah. And he blessed this cat. And that cat is now going. He, he To me, he created a new kind of economy with what he did so that he inspired who knows how much money potentially this has. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's you have sort of the it's it's more that older mixtape mentality, but just with the new technology. Right. So like that mixtape mentality that says, hey, I'm going to put six, eight different tracks, kind of show what I can do out there. And then and then, you know, you it gets you just drop it out there. Other people are going to be making copies of it, passing it around, selling it. And and you might pick it up and find somebody else's mixtape, and then rap over the top of it and make your own new recording, and then that mixtape then gets copied and passed around. Right, that old mentality that said um, it's not it, the that the the art isn't treated as a a commodity. The the skill is, and so I got to convince everybody that I've got the skill. And that's what the mixtapes do is they uh, they get your name like your name is the thing that's valuable. Um, that mentality has sort of been replaced. I mean, I think the music industry, this is why you've got you know whole tracks about how shady the music industry is. It's always trying to turn. It's always it's trying to turn a profit, which isn't a problem. You've got to make money on the art if you want to pay for more art um but it com it's the commodification of somebody else's name and likeness that bro you so that they no longer can make money off of it that's what is the the problem that comes around over and over and over once you start being able to record um music in any sort of significant way it, it starts becoming a problem well, it's not it's not just the music industry anymore. It's our industry it's and everything. The media. Yeah. Yeah. So you had the I, I mean historically you had the growth of the uh um studio system you know, that that it really starts in the 20s and 30s and then kind of reaches its peak in the 50s and the 60s. But you start getting an independent-minded film under, underground movement in the 40s that reaches its peak again in the 70s and then everything sort of speeds up as the technology improves right so you've got the commodification then the independency the, com the commodification of a person um you know you can always commodify the art the the artifact the 
the asset. But when you start commodifying a person without them gaining from it, gaining um, that, that always ends up getting under the skin of artists and then an independent movement grows up and bursts forth and makes a bunch of money and then it becomes commodified again. Well, that's what I was going to get. It's like the cycle is inescapable. Yeah, the cycle is inescapable. The wisdom is knowing where you are in the cycle and how to leverage this moment in the cycle by creating something great and being able to monetize. Um, See, and it's not just monetize though. It's being able to, to monetize it into wealth and not just cash in the moment. Cause like this guy with okay. the J Cole beat, he, yeah. he might make a bunch of cash, but, and it never becomes a career because he doesn't have either the, the wisdom himself or somebody that comes along with the wisdom that says, let's, let's leverage this and invest it properly. So everything you're saying to me is making me think about the Crowder and daily wire blaze. Those kind of, the blaze has kind of been on the quiet side of this. They haven't said anything. Yeah. They just kind of like, well, so we're smart. done with Crowder. Like just, <laughs> we're just minding our business. They're so smart on this one. Right. Um, and the fight has been with, and I think the daily wire wanted this fight. I think the daily wire wanted this fight. Um, I think you're probably right because they didn't have to have it. Crowder didn't release who it was that gave him the contract. He said, there's many people out there. He actually tried to distract, I think, from who it was. We just all felt like there wasn't going to be anybody other than the Daily Wire who had that kind of money to, <laughs> to, to, right. to buy Crowder in. So everybody guessed the Daily Wire. But the, the thing that you're talking about with artists and the system, it just repeats itself. And, and I don't think... So that's why I'm asking the question. So let me finish my what I'm thinking. You have an artist who's creating a large amount of content at a high level that are making people want to watch, engage, and um, support this person. And he's doing it with a move as a movement. So he's not just creating right. art for the t- point of enjoyment. He's actually creating art for a movement. So this is a, a much bigger goal than just i gotta make money he's dealing with i want to change the world i want to change our institutions i want to change how we do things um because that's how we're going to win and fight and he's finding this conflict with the institution that's like listen man we make money that's what we do right right and so it if you're gonna if this is how we work and how we operate we ain't about that art life we, we <laughs> we'll make our art, but we're going to make it within these parameters. We've got to have this because this is what sells like trying to get the hits. Right. We know yeah. all the producers are doing it this way. This is where the hits are. And if you don't work in this box um, you and you get penalized for working outside of the box, this is just it's doing that so that we can make money because this is the way that we make money. And Crowder's like, damn that. Um, no, right. I don't want I want to make art the way I want to make art without the penalties to make it. Otherwise, it's going to stifle how I make art. Right. Yeah. And. And so that's that cycle going back around again. So that's why I'm asking the question. What J. Cole did. I don't even know if we have the ability to do in our institutions. And, 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 and I'm thinking of in Christendom where. You know, uh, I don't even know what that would look like. I think Doug has probably been that for us. He's been like our J. Cole here at Cross Politic. When we started doing our podcast, I remember everybody laughed at us. Um, yeah. 
nobody would listen. You guys talk over each other. Oh my goodness. Nobody cares about those things. You guys are talking politics and Christians need to be about this life of sharing the gospel. And, and, and so nobody, and so nobody would listen to us. Nobody really would engage with us. We're kind of a joke. Um, and then pastor Wilson comes on the show. Gives you, know? you the, the respectability. And, uh, it lends his and, respectability. He basically freestyled, you know, a verse, you know, with 64 bars on it. You know what I mean? And just comes on and yeah. everybody listens. And then I'll tell you another one. Apologia did the same thing for us too, right? Um, Jeff and Luke put our commercial in the middle of their show for another podcast. You know, and so I guess there's there's ways. Yeah. And like that's, I, ain't nobody, you ain't going to see, and I name a few, ain't going to see nobody else who got a, a Worldview podcast take our commercial and say, you need to listen to those guys. Yeah, here's another I, Worldview podcast that, that where you guys are, I mean, in a technical sense, you might be competition. Right. In a in a greater sense, you're not. I mean, it's the... But, but they, there's enough to go around yeah mentality yes it's not it's not seeing the world in an evolutionary mindset that there's only so many slices of the pie and if we don't get this we're not going to have any pie those guys didn't think yeah. like that doug didn't think like that and i don't even know if doug was like you know let me help these guys i don't even know if he thinks in that kind of way he just does yeah he's things just, like he's a very yeah. generous generous person it, it, he is and so he validated he took us seriously right he really yeah. did he took us and nobody else was apologia took us seriously when nobody else was and i'm just trying to think like how do we as christians move into the way where we think in, in the economy especially as artists more like the way j cole is thinking about man this guy inspired me whatever i have that's um of attention let me bestow on him that type of I mean, look, that guy couldn't afford a. What does J. Cole cost to do a verse? Maybe 100K, 50K? Yeah. Something like that to do a minimum, verse on a minimum song? Minimum 100K. I'm sure it's minimum, more than 100K. Yeah. To just drop a, a 16 bar verse? Yeah. If you wanted J. Cole on the track? Yeah, probably 100. You're probably right. Minimum 100K. A minimum of 100K. So, so what he gave that I mean, cat I, was equivalent to that, at least. Yeah. Right. And, and I mean, there's a, but the, it, when you, when you understand the, how the economy really works, how economics really works, that it's not a zero sum game that, that you can actually produce um, something, produce wealth and um, that wasn't there before. Um, and that there's a, that when you understand that, you it frees up generosity right because you don't um and and you know i remember an interview with seal um where he talks about you know he, he, he one of the greatest vocalists of the last 50 years you know he he's up there um he's probably got a lot more international success um than simple american success but the uh, I remember him saying, well, you know, the difference between the highest levels and the high level artists is generosity. When you get to the highest mm. levels, every single person at that level 
understands that that true artistry takes generosity that struck me because the um you know it we don't tend i mean we tend to think in terms of got to get my own got to protect myself and um and not in terms of you know the the exchange the economic exchange um i mean I, actually i remember doug talking about this at just a when i was back in Greyfriars. so he and him just saying you know when when because they were putting together for the first time a list of christian businesses in town um and he said this isn't so that you can think in terms of getting a discount this is so you mm. can think in terms of giving an extra 10% when you go to these places right so um this is this, this is this is helping you um learn to think generously with your brothers mm. <laughs> and i do think we tend to think oh a christian oh maybe i can get a discount rather than oh a christian um i know i know where my tips going i know you know i know where the extras going and learn to think in terms of generosity um is a is learning to think like god right there's there's plenty to go around you know um god is is a capitalist who makes a return um who created a world in which there's the wealth grows um you you don't have to take from somebody else to grow your own stash so to speak um but the i mean that that's a fundamental um that you um Engels, who was Marx's sort of partner in intellectual crime, his um, hype man. He talks of his hype man. Yeah, he he says that the the heart uh, of of Das Kapital is um, is the the uh, limited nature of or that that there's limited uh, limited goods, right? Limited means of production, limited goods, and that. Um, if somebody has some, it's because they took it from everyone else, right? Mm -hmm. that, that's if that's the heart of communism and the heart of Marxism is that if I have it, it's because I had to I had to take it, right? Um, then we should stop and think. Well, that's a what's the opposite of that, right? What's the right way to think? Because obviously that's wrong. That's that has caused global mass murder multiple times. So the fruit of that kind of thinking uh, uh, is evident on the face of it. Um, but what's the opposite of it, right? What is well the opposite of it is a word. It's not a closed system with limited resources. We don't live in a closed system with limited resources. We live in the kind of world. Um, that's expandable right? so you can get hold of you know you can get hold of um you know copper for example and depending on what you do with it it can become more valuable um it and then it can become an investment you know if you if you dig copper out of the ground and then you um, make it into wire and then put it into a house now it's not just the value of the copper anymore. Now, over time, the value of it as a system to move electricity around creates the possibilities of other kinds of wealth to grow. 
Right. So, and I know this is something that when I was in my early twenties, I didn't understand. Um, you know, when you, that, that by the time you get to your forties, you just have more, but just because when you buy something, if you buy something that lasts, then it outdoes the purchase, you know, the, the wealth of it. But, and everything is like that. We've got this constant possible possibility to be growing the value um, of things, the growing the value of things in the world. Uh, and it doesn't run out because of God's generosity, because of the kind of place that he built, because it's not a closed system. He's continually involved in it and, and adding energy. And, you know, um, so it's a different, a completely different way of approaching the economy or economics. Yeah. No, it is. As you're talking, I wrote down, um, you know, I think, it's a it's amazing how much cosmology affects our economics yeah right and so as you were talking you know and when we were talking about prayer almost everything that we've talked about has come back to this is the kind of world that right yeah um and this is the kind of world where generosity is something that you know grows it it doesn't stay put um it expands, you know, um, to do something for somebody else um, has and to bless them has an, an effect that you you don't see tripling and quadrupling. And, you know, like, for instance, with the J. Cole thing, he blesses this cat, but he was blessed too. like generosity. Right. Is, it has it have feedback as well. You know, this cat does his hard work. Whoever knows how long he stayed it up, stayed up at night producing this, trying to get it right, mixing it, you know, getting the fills, the timing and all that stuff. And he's moved probably by J. Cole. Right. Because <laughs> so, he's making a right. J. Cole type of beat. Yeah. Right. He's moved by J. Cole and his writing goes in his lab and produces something that he think would be in the same vein. J. Cole looks up on the Internet, finds a J. Cole type of beat. He's moved by it. Right. He's right. like, oh, man. And then what he's moved by is the hunger that's inside of this artist to make music that he's helped place there in one way or another. And yeah. and it's coming back to J. Cole now to inspire him to write for this new album. And he's like, it, I don't want to keep that. In Go ahead. And, and he ends up writing about inspiration and the way <laughs> that poverty was was a driving force for him when, when he was young. Uh, yep. And, and now that he's not impoverished, how difficult it is to find, you know, how he's constantly looking for new sources of inspiration because getting out from hustle. under, yeah, getting out from, from under creditors was no longer the inspiration. And, and, and so, which is going to, which then in turn, you know, inspires other people. And you think how different that is than like, um, Nas's when Nas raps about money or when even Jay-Z, you know, H to the Izzo when he talks about he's getting back what was taken from Cold Crush, like that um and he so and, and you know Cold Crush was taken advantage of. Um but the idea that that that, that money is still sitting there somehow and went by Jay-Z taking it justice is being done 
because <laughs> Cold Crush was right. robbed. Um, and so now, but now things are being put right because now Jay Z's rich. Um, <laughs> it's a it's a weird. It ends up being a really weird view of of money and economics. Um, and I think, uh, I'm I mean I don't know maybe Jay are Jay Z and Cold Crush from the same neighborhood? Maybe they are. I don't know. Are they both from yeah, I Brooklyn? Know. I don't know where Jay Z's from. Um, yeah, he's in Brooklyn. Yeah, so maybe and maybe that's what he where where he's getting the um, the analogy from. But it's still a strange view of money right that that uh um that guy he that guy got robbed um and so now i'm gonna go out and i'm gonna rob it rob them back you think well no you just you you wrote some great albums you're you're not really robbing anyone like by but ending up with a lot of money is um that the mentality of kind of mob wealth Uh is right. that somebody had I to got lose. it I, somebody had to lose it right um right. and cold lost it lost the first time in this battle for money um this time i lo- this time they lost and i won so justice is finally done but the, but that's a weird view of justice right because real justice would be his white cold crush's wife and kids um being given what was taken plus the interest um, that was earned while they had it, you know, that that's real. That's what real justice would have been. So then, so man, I, I know we're, we're talking about that. We're going to talk about, I think this will lead into it, but um, do you think though, that the contract that, or should I say the proposal that was sent from the daily wire to Crowder was, I guess I don't want to say it was not them taking advantage, but because of the way that we do business now, everybody is seeking to to st- get rip off somebody else or to try and get as much as they can from the other person without giving them their worth. That's what it seems to me when I look yeah. at contracts. That's what it looks like. Most contracts are are how can I get the most out of you without having to give be generous in the same way? You know what I mean? Right. And so, yeah, what I. And I do think not- that is that that's how that's how the world thinks of contracts. That's how, you know, that's how most contracts are written. Um, you need a lawyer to read it carefully um, because so, somebody's trying to rip somebody off. And, you know, I, I was talking with my lawyer and he's like, you know, I do stuff with Christians all the time and they accidentally rip each other off even when they're not trying to because contractual contractual language has become so convoluted, right? Um, in order to hide stuff, usually. Um, and so, you know, he said, even Christians that mean well sometimes accidentally end up ripping each other off. But that's a different thing than, well, this is the way it's normally done mentality. We should always be saying, yeah, but what does God want us to do? Right? How how is wh- what kind of what kind of contractual agreements are going to be in the resurrection? Um, how do I reflect that kind of generosity when you don't have, you know, fear and rivalry can, anymore? So then can I put this out there for you? Because I think uh, this is going to get to communism, but <laughs> um, <laughs> the way the way that I, I look at contracts is the way that Pastor Wilson was looking at serving Christian businesses. So most of the business that I do I do with Christians, but if I'm yeah. going to do business with a pagan, 
I want to act so much like a Christian that he loves to do business with me. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and so I want to bless him and I want to double bless my Christian brothers. Right. So if, if it was me and I'm doing a contract, I am going to give that person every penny of what I think he's worth that I have to give. Right. Right. So I'm like, okay, Jason Farley, I want you to come on to the network. Um, you know, you know, let's say that we have daily wire type money, you know, it's like, okay, um, what is it that I'm going to do on my assessment? How many people do I think you can reach? What is it that I think that uh, it's going to cost you to do your production? How can I keep stress off of your front door and back door? What are the lawyer fees going to cost? Okay, we're going to be in that we're going to is he the kind of person that I want to throw my weapons behind and f- cover his flank? I make all those assessments. And so when I come to you with the dollar amount, it is the highest amount that I can give. Right. That's what yeah. I want to do in a contract. I don't want to say, oh, this is just a starting point. No, 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 no. I've investigated. I know what you can do. You know what? I'm going to give you. Let's just throw out a crazy number. I'm going to give you. What is it? Um, I think Infowars does 50 million dollars over five years. Oh, you know what, Jason? OK, I'm going to give you 10 million dollars a year to do your production. OK, Um and that's all I got. I got $10 million a year over five years. That's that's my what I can afford to give to this. Do you want it? Yes or no. And you say, well, that's not what I was thinking. Um, I want $15 million. I was like, listen, you didn't understand what I said. <laughs> this is all I got to give yeah, you on this. Right. I don't have anything else. Uh, this is my high number. This is not my low number. This is the highest thing I got now. If right. you don't like we're, my high number, that's totally fine. Number. We're we'll starting with my high number. If you don't like it, that's fine. Now, if you come and say, hey, are you paying health care? Are you paying this? And I'm like, yep, I'm paying all that. You're like, listen, this is the only bartering that I'm going to do in my contracts. I'll take care of my own health care. You don't have to worry about that. We'll go under some sort of contract agreement or whatever. I'll take care of all that. Put that money into my pay. And there goes your extra money that you were missing. Yeah. I'm like, ah, got it. I'm with that. But I'm not here to lowball you on numbers if I think that you're valuable. Otherwise, I'm lying. <laughs> I'm not right. There, I'm gonna say, go ahead. There, there's a couple of, I mean, there's a couple of things, though. Going into all of it is, people look at money differently, right? So some people see money as, um, as, uh, respect. You know, you're you're this. You're telling me this is yeah, this absolutely is my value value. Uh, yeah. Other people though, they see money in terms of um safety right so they'll they come in and the question in their in their mind is how much do i need to to ward off the threats right so um and in that situation you're not thinking in terms of value value to bring right you're you're saying um so you're it's a it's an antidote to fear that um is is there's no way to get enough if that's what it's for right and so that's and if so if that's the case you're always trying to make sure you get more right because Uh, yeah yeah than the other person because fear always grows right so so it there's a, a it makes sense to, to people to say, well, I've got to get as much as I can because this is what keeps me safe. This is what keeps my family safe. This is what keeps my kids safe. Well, that, that in that mentality, 
then you're going to constantly be lowballing because why would you hand away safety? Thing that's, it's yeah. like we're in the middle that's of idolatry, war, though. and you're I, I, I agree that it, it probably is, but I also think it is the most common middle class way of approaching money. Right. Really? So it is. Yeah. I mean, it, it's the, the, when you maybe get, I, think, yeah, um, I can see that. Whereas, you know, it's folks in the, um, you know, folk, folks on the low end economically tend to think of money in terms of respect. Um, and the safety is in the relationships, right? The safety's in the community. Bust it. Bust it. You got me. <laughs> yeah. And so then you're going to, you're going to use the money at, to keep the relationships up and to keep, to make sure you're, you're showing people the respect that's due so that you have the continued relationship. Can I uh, add something to that though, too? Yeah, go ahead. I, I think something needs to be added to that too, is as an artist, I know what they need and the space that they need to be able to create. And so that's, that's probably part of the respect. It's like, listen, you, an artist can't be a great businessman. I just, <laughs> right. those, those, those Rarely. two, now he can make money and he can su survive, but artists, um, it's hard for them. And if they are great businessmen, um, they have to, they merge things together that ultimately get them in trouble at the end. Right. Um, mm -hmm. th there's a hybrid in between the artist and the businessman. There's, there's that guy. There's, there's not either, or it's, there's usually one guy who is a, who is an, um, he loves art, but he can't do art, but he's good at business and he knows how to serve, um, you yeah. know, Damon dash, Damon dash. He's a great example. Yeah. Jay-Z was an artist. Damon dash didn't rap. He's not a rapper. He's a business guy, but he loves rap. And he knows the business that it creates and he knows how other people react to rap. And so he knows how to communicate between artists and businessmen. And so he makes great right. deals for his rappers, right? Jay-Z yeah. would have never been where he was apart from Damon Dash. Damon Dash was the business guy, right? So yeah. anybody That's who's Bernie, ever Bernie, made it. Bernie, Bernie Brillstein with all the comedians. Yeah, He loves comedy but he's a businessman who made sure that comedians could just do their job. And he took care of you know, like uh, a lot of the greatest comedians all, all had Bernie Brillstein for a manager. Well, here, here's somebody who's a hybrid is Adam Iveen. Right. Oh yeah. Okay. Right. He, he was, he was a musician, right. Producing and um, for artists in the, what the seventies, sixties and seventies. And then, um, team, he started seeing where music was going with hip hop and he ended up teaming up with Dre, right? He was an engineer actually, I think above yeah. all. And, um, and then he started uh, becoming a, a, was it like a label manager or something like that? A&R &R for large record companies. And then started seeing the business plays and got, went more into the business, but he was originally an artist, right? Um, yeah. so Whereas there's a hybrid guys, guys like Warren G who basically changed the game production wise, and then disappear because they didn't have anybody protecting their back on the business side. Right. It's, it happens so much. So yeah. there's this hybrid there. So I just wanted to throw that in there. There's like, there's this, there's the, the reason that that's important for somebody who like me um, is because I know what it takes for artists to create something, to go into the den, not care or know what's going on around them necessarily. And then make something that either is very offensive to everybody that starts the conversation that people need to have, or it's enjoyable. Artists need that space to create. 
Um, I, I know that an artist can go for three weeks playing basketball, swimming, enjoying the Caribbeans and just having a great time. And you're like, why aren't you working? And everybody's upset. And I'm like, no, no, they are yeah. working. They, they absolutely are working. Are yeah. working. And, and then in three days, create a whole album. Right. Right. <laughs> it's like, why is he so expensive? Because he needs this experience to make that one. Right. Yeah. Um, in well, the same way, like and, the, the ghetto has to make, you know, the ghetto made Jay-Z what he was, the lifestyle there. And now Jay-Z is rap for rich people. Right. Because right. that's the world that's influencing what he's doing. Yeah. And you see this with comedy all the time where you've got a great, hilarious comedian who makes a bunch of money and quits being funny. And you think, well, what? What happened? Well, apparently it was the um, it was that hunt for respect that made them work so hard mm. um, or, you know, the hunt for money that made them work so hard. Once they have it, they don't work as hard anymore because they're like, well, look, I got all the I got all the respect I need now. I don't need to I don't need to fight for it like I used to. And so especially with comedians that they're funny because they were bullied when they were younger, they um when they're not getting bullied anymore, they quit being funny. You realize, oh, this was this this is a tool um, you, for a particular purpose. Outside of that purpose, you don't know how to use this thing. And then you've got other guys, you know, that are just craftsmen. Um, uh, you know, Chappelle, um, Seinfeld, yeah, uh, guys that that no matter Chris where Rock, you put yeah. them. Chris Rock, yeah. Um, I mean, I think Chris Rock's probably the hardest working um, stand-up comic around. You know, even though he's at the top, he still works um, harder than just about anyone else at the craft. And because it wasn't um, the, it wasn't a tool for a particular purpose. It was a craft that he was developing. And so, no matter where he is, he's still being funny. Now, Chappelle tells rich people jokes. Now poor people jokes, um, and they're funny, you know. He, uh, but it, it's it oh, works hey, in whatever he... situation he's in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, um, do you? What do you think? I, I, I want to finish this up though. What What do you think about my concept of contracts versus? Because I, I think part of what happened with Crowder was that it was a seen as disrespect because it wasn't a contract it was uh some sort of um you know initiation to An be bartered offer, with yeah. and yeah. to work yeah. through and i i do think that he he felt well so there's there's a couple of things one is the contract was a squeeze blood from the rock contract right how much can we get how much money can we get from this guy how much money can we as an institution make on this guy's work and reputation? That kind of contract, he something that is overlooked is in his original conversation, he says, this is something's wrong with the movement. One of the first things he mentions is conservative artists burn out. He says, our burnout rate is so much higher. Why is that? And he says, it's because of contracts like this. Because we squeeze cash from artists as assets or we 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 treat artists like assets um not can I, art I, 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 art is an asset but an artist if you the if you treat an artist like an asset then um you get 
massive burnout the way we are. So I think I think that's one of the things that's at the heart of what he's talking about. It doesn't isn't getting the play because it's not sexy like a fifty million dollar offer. Everybody's uh, missing the fifty million dollar stuff. They really they get over it, people. Uh, you, you, yeah, I, I I mean it really. There's nothing that you're doing. There's nothing that you're producing. There's nothing that I'm producing that is a fifty million dollar contract. We don't even understand the category in which he's working. Okay, we right. we don't even have the categories to how much. Look, Tucker Carlson is what sixty million dollars over four or five years or something like that. I can't remember writing it down. It's like something like that. He's in the highest paid. I think he might even be more than that. I'll look it up. But you know, you don't produce on that level. Right. <laughs> right. Like you just don't. So everybody's like, I would have took it. Yeah, you would have took it because you ain't worth that. Now, now right. be worth yeah. that. Now be worth that. And somebody <laughs> offers you that. And you're like, wait a second. That's that's you know what I mean? That's a different category altogether. Right? It is. But I, I, I think even well, I think though the even the question of worth that, what do we even mean is one of the things that I think is at the heart of the whole conflict, because so many of us think that our economic position um, has some sort of reflection of our ontological value. Right. So when we, when we look at something like that, we think, man, if somebody's offering me that much, like that's such a, that's, they're telling me my ultimate value is really high or, you know, my, my value um, to society is really high, something like that. And so we would be blinded by (laughs) the number, by the numbers because of our cosmology, right? That's a, because of our metaphysic um, and, what people that make a lot of money often realize is, oh, dang, the money doesn't mean as much as I thought. The money doesn't change as much as I thought, right? Now, there are things like I'm I'm hustling, trying to make more money. That's uh, because there are things that, you know, because there are bills and debts to pay and, you know, the, uh, those sorts of things trying to pay you you invest in my kids education and um all those things but i know um that the money that more money changes very few things because we've had we've gone through periods of nothing um and we've gone through periods where we've got a lot right we've gone through periods with significant you know um six figure medical debt um, and we've gone through periods where we're making plenty of money and, you know, we can throw parties for the whole neighborhood and, you know, the, and the difference that in the two situations is so minuscule, <laughs> um, because the, because the, the value is, you know, the fellowship with the family and it doesn't shift and change that much. Um, so I mean, wait, the, are the, you? Does that does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. Are you saying that the reason that the money is what everybody is jumping at is because of the way that they understand who that money makes them at the end of the day? Yeah, exactly. 
So right, that, if, if I had $50 million, I would finally be somebody important uh, who I am inherently changes and, and I become higher on the chain of beans. Right, money, right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I move up in, um, you know, I'm more important to society or I'm, I'm Wait, fine. Uh, I, my value so, so, is, is, uh, finally settled, um, you know, way up there. So money, money changes my ontological reality. Right. That's the way most people approach it. Conservatives and liberals alike. And the difference is on the, you know, the communists, what they say is, you know, money, money is a, is a, a sign of your ontological value. Since we know everyone's equal, there ought not to be money. I mean, that's the argument that Karl Marx mm. makes for no private property everyone is equal and so there shouldn't be private property because private property when one person has more than another private property that uh, more private property than another then that makes them higher and they're they're actually equal and so we need to get rid of private property because it has this effect on people conservatives tend to just say yes it's true having more money makes you more valuable but some people are just more valuable than others. <laughs> so they should have more money, right? Um, so are they talking you, ontologically then at that point, though? Are conservatives trying to have an ontological I don't think we, argument? I don't think we make the distinction even at all in our minds, right? I think we have bought into the flattening of economic and ontological e equation. Uh, when you say flattening, you mean that, egalitarianism and the idea of economics the, then? Exactly. That there's mm. a that that egal we've bought into the egalitarianism. We bought into the ontology, the metaphysic of egalitarianism. So that even our attempts at hierarchy are at, they share the same ontology. They have the exact same metaphysic. Can you explain? So we said, yeah, yeah, yeah. So so somebody that's more important in society or has more money is more valuable to society is more valuable as a person. Um, somebody, if one person is in charge, it's because they are more, um, because they are better, more valuable. Okay. Like, don't, so don't, don't shoot me for this. Isn't, isn't that true? <laughs> <laughs> just, not, not, I mean, Right, not yeah. in, not in God's economy, right? Because what's the thing that makes us metaphysically of worth? Made in the well, image of God. Yeah, made in the image of God, right? And that's something that is equal to all people, no matter how big, small, rich, poor, um, he, he, powerful, not powerful. Right. This is the um, this is the Mother Teresa holding the hands of of someone as they die of leprosy understanding of humanity no that, don't don't throw the no you can't throw mother Teresa in here that's cheating <laughs> you know mother, well, no, it's, it's like using hitler that's, like yeah you win the conversation <laughs> <laughs> but it's but it, it it's the, the that is the reason that what the work she does is so convicting is because we know that that's true right and it's it's mm. and it's hard to remember um in in the moment right and she's she, I, I mean, she's really interesting as a person. Um, you know, when she she got one chance to speak publicly uh, before 
the president of the United States. And she addressed him in particular about abolishing abortion. <laughs> I mean, like one, you got one opportunity to ever speak publicly. And she spends that time explaining that the, the value of every human life is equal and we ought not to um, dehumanize uh, uh, children in the womb just because they're small and out of sight um, because that devalues every human in society um, because you, you know, you, you are shifting the understanding of uh, unless you're powerful enough, you're, you're only important if you're powerful. Right. And that's not true. And so in the name of Jesus end abortion, right? That so she, she gets one chance to speak publicly and that's what she speaks on. Um, it's she, she's, she's like as gangster as they, as they ever come. But you also hear the stories of, you know, her, she's often in India running these places that take care of people as they die um, from incurable diseases. And she is on the rotation of people that change that clean the bathroom, right? She's mother Teresa, right? Like she's important, but she's just, she just, God just happened to make her also a mouthpiece. Um, but really she was just you know a servant um, where she saw the value of every person and served them. So let me push back on this without, cheating using mother Teresa because that's like a Trump card <laughs> um, generals are more important than captains or privates and if you don't have a general but so but this is where um, the ontological and economic distinctions are so important right so they hold an office that's above um, that's that's above in the military right so I I'm not in the military so if I um, if I run into a general, I don't need to salute. But somebody that is, you know, that's a private does salute because of that. The relationship between the two offices that they hold the, mm, in um, that particular um... in that particular jurisdiction, right? um, in the same sort of way. My kids, they I, I expect them to be. Um, respectful to and adults, salute but you. they don't have to. <laughs> yeah, well, they don't. They don't have to obey all dads, though, right? If um, if another dad says, "Hey, I need you to do this," they should be respectful to people older than them, and respect and respectful to anyone and everyone, and and think, okay, this is a person that's older than me, and they're asking me to do this. Is that still the right thing to do? They're not required to obey all dads, though by virtue of them being a dad, right? They're required to obey me as their father. We have a, an economic relationship. I am in jurisdiction. Yeah. also, yeah, in, in a jurisdiction, right? But I am also a, an equal with them, right? They're my little brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, and that, so, um, you know, if I, you know, when I sin against one of my kids, I have to ask them to forgive me the same way I do anybody, even though I have an office with jurisdiction over them um, for a time, it's not permanent, but for a time I do, um, I have to, they, they have to 
because of our equality, they have to forgive me and I have to ask for forgiveness in the same way that they have to ask for forgiveness and I have to forgive them. But there's a ontological equality that is not affected by an economic hierarchy. So then, in fact, the economic hierarchies are what a healthy society looks like, right? Mm. That with an ontological equality. And so we have, but because we've equated the two, we have flat, we've tried to flatten everything. Right? So, so then, even now, yeah, go ahead. So then, when I say a general is more important than a private, the, the answer to that is like, wait a second, you just merged together the economic and ontological realities. When really a general is and a private are as important as they need for the job that needs to be done. Right. So if you have. Um, yeah. Right. So the ontological realities of importance. So then how do you speak about that? Because I'm thinking, well, I want a guy on the top who knows the battlefield, knows war, knows how and where to put his pieces on the board in order to be able to win. And a private doesn't do that. Now, the private's going to go out and fight the war. But right. For me, the most well, important part would be a general because I have to guide these guys. Right. So it, well, it depends on what you mean by important, right? So, and this is where, um, you if you, when you have, you know, some of the, um, like throughout history, you've got some of the really great, um, generals, uh, a, a good example is, um, you know, Robert the Bruce or William Wallace, um, you know, William, William Wallace, when they were getting ready for battle, he was, he had, he was a very gifted in guiding, uh, an army, right? So he was able to win against, um, significant odds because of his skill as a general. He was also an enormous guy, your huge sword was deadly on the battlefield himself, but he also could lead men, but he, but when they were prepping for a battle, he would walk down the line and he knew each of them and he would remind them, Oh, do you remember the story of your wife or, Oh, I remember, you know, your, your oldest daughter. Remember when I held her in my arms that one time and she said this funny thing and where he would walk from person to person and remind them um, what they fought for. And because he knew them all, um, he knew their homes, he knew their families. He, and he, he would, so he, because he valued them as people, they would charge into the, mm. into hell with him. Um, so because he understood, uh, but he also understood that his job as a general was to be good enough at his job for, to win the battle so that they trusted him. But, the, but because he could, he was able to make that distinction. You're, we are fighting together to win this battle because you and your life and your family are important. So he's, um, he, yeah. So in one sense, another, he's like, um, I fight for your wife. I fight for your daughter. Yep. I fight for your, your people. And they're like, I fight for your wife. I fight for your daughter. I fight right. for your people. Right. Um, yeah. It was an ontological. But they also understand. Yeah, the, that ontological equanimity, they, they all understood that. But mm. they also knew that if they're going to win, they have to submit to him as the general. 
<laughs> right that right. that on the ba- on the battlefield so it that it wasn't him giving them orders was not a threat to their ontological equality right um them submitting you know the uh you see this with um i mean really up until the age of egalitarianism um which which is when kicks uh, i mean it really starts kicking in and uh coming home from world war one um between really? the, between the wars so i mean it's amazing if you read um well you were just telling me about the pg woodhouse right, <laughs> yes Jeeves and, and wooster i lo- yeah. love those books but just Jeeves saying no this is my spot my spot in society um is to serve the serve the gentry and he was, he was happy smarter, and good yeah. at it, smarter. And he knew, and they all knew that Jeeves was the smartest in the room. Um, but the societal um, organization wasn't a threat. Um, and so they could continue in it. You see the same thing. Dorothy Sayers novels um, are, I think are a good example. You know, she's, she wrote just crime novels, but they, they make the hierarchy amongst, amongst men, she makes the hierarchy amongst men really beautiful um and because it's something that she really admired and you you can feel her admiration coming through as she writes about you know the the best men um are the the ones that love and embrace their spot in society do it really well even if whether it's the top the middle the bottom wherever it is they love they, they love and embrace the spot in society that they have. Um, and you've got good people and bad people at every level of society. It's not like money makes you a bad guy or a good guy or, right you, um, but the, uh, that the economic, you know, the, the hierarchical organization of society um, it's going away in Dorothy Sayers day. And so she is trying to make it continue have seemed beautiful or can be, continue to look beautiful um, in her novels. And um, there's a, you know, a very sweet relationship that grows up between the, t- the two main characters. They eventually get married. Um, and uh, it, but there's a, she makes the submission and leadership, um, you know, submission and headship in marriage look beautiful Um because she admired it so much, right? That um, she she's her um, her translation of Dante. You can see that as she gets older, um, she gets more and more enamored with Dante. Partly because of the beauty of hierarchy that is put on display in Dante, really, really well, um, and the you know the 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 per- her translation of the purgatorio she dedicates to charles williams who was one of the greatest um Ar- arthurian king arthur scholars of the day and was constantly you know teaching on king arthur and, and teaching her about king arthur and, and that's another example of books that are purposefully trying to make um hierarchy show how beautiful a well-functioning hierarchy is you're talking uh, the first thing that came to my mind was um 
one body with many members. You got Paul talking about that. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and, but, and, and I think we all know it intrinsically. We understand that reality of fingernail, a toenail, a pinky toe, you know, you need all of these different things. Like, you know, you, you need them, but our society tells us, yeah, we know we need them, but you don't want to be one of those things. Right. Like you want to be the brain. You want to be the head. You want to be that guy. Like that's who you want to be. Right. And and so I remember, yeah, you want to be, you want to be that, that don't you want to be that, right. You don't want to be the thing that gets the least amount of respect is probably a, a vein, you know, (laughs) uh, that moves from the heart. Like nobody talks about, I got beautiful veins, you know, (laughs) no, you don't want to be that. Right. Um, and so what, but we know we all need them, but then we all move everybody to be the eyes or the nose or the mouth. There's only a few amount of things that we want to be. And, and because everybody seeks to be that, then it destroys even the body, even being able to operate. What, where's the hands at? Where's the muscles in the forearm? Where's the veins that getting the, the oxygen and the blood flow front to the fingertips so you can feel well, you know, like we don't think it, you need all of those different pieces to operate, to do your job. Well, and they don't all receive the same amount of glory even. Right. Like, right. And that's okay. That's okay. It is there. And we also know that in the resurrection, all, all glory that was deserved, but not given will Mm. be put right. Right. Mm. So there's also the promise that there are sometimes there are somebody that ought to have gotten the glory that they didn't. Well, that'll be put right. Mm. Um, Man, you know what? That's the lie, ain't it? Oh my goodness, it's like you're not gonna get what you deserve. That's the biggest lie. It's like, well, then you gotta get yours. You gotta get yours because ain't nobody gonna get you what you deserve. Which is why <laughs> the Bible talks about do things unto the Lord. He sees every little yeah. thing you do, and it will be made. Man, that is so good. Oh. But it that's that's one of the things that keeps us rivals. And you can't function as the body of Christ when you're rivals. Mm. So as I've been studying communism, it thrives in the same way that fire gets bigger because of oxygen. Communism thrives off of rivalries yeah it envy sees them rivalry. and exploits them yeah it it thrives off of that and the more that i've gone back and been reading about uh the fifth commandment and how the fifth commandment lays out the order for society between superiors inferiors and equals when you have an egalitarian um or, or when you have an a I don't even mean an abusive hierarchy egalitarian comes in egalitarianism comes in and starts to exploit that sin as a way to separate and say, see, this is why you need to be at the top. Like, this is why you need to be here. And this is, this is not going to work. You know, these, these workers out here are making the company. And if it wasn't for these workers, there would be no company. I think they should own the company and not the guy who started it. 
let's take over the whole company and let us have the company and give it to us. And so you get, you know, the same thing's happening right now with the policing. You have Tyree Nichols who got killed by five black officers and everybody's screaming, um, let's federalize the police because, you know, obviously this is not working. We need to put all this power in one place where we can have the authority to impose our will. Right. And so it's, Communism comes in and tries to exploit um, the lack of repentance or the failures inside of a hierarchical system. And so when it's broken, we don't know how to get it back. Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, and I think, and I mean, if I understand it, those five officers have been arrested, right? Yeah. They were fired so, and arrested. Yeah. Fired and arrested. So, there's a charge. real sense in which things are actually working. It's an example of it working. Now, no, Jason. It no. Not- <laughs> <laughs> if it was working, it, it wouldn't have happened. But that's the lie that the law should somehow be able to stop sin. It doesn't. Right. The law, the, the job is to come in and punish for sin. Mm. Right. It's to bring justice. The law can't the law is not going to stop the sin. Uh, the, if the law is functioning properly, then those people are arrested. If, um, if they are convicted uh, of, of, you know, de- depending on what degree murder or whatever they're convicted of, then they uh, get the death degree. penalty. Right. Oh, is that what it is? So yeah, not it's, death it's, penalty it's, for second it's, degree, it's, but yeah, no, but um, if they'll get 15 to 60 years and a $50,000 uh, fine. Right. So, that hopefully is paid to the family if there's a fine. Anyway, that's a whole nother issue. But yeah, um, the uh, so we, but what so what communism runs on is envy, rivalry, and limited resources. Right. Uh-huh. That's, that's the um, Say that's that the envy, rivalry, and limited resources. That's the uh, the heat, air, and fuel to fire communism or to to for communism to be able to burn um heat air and so, and fuel yeah that's how I mean, that you, you said? to have fire you ha- to have fire you have to have heat air and fuel wait a second that's right. exact that's when you said that i just thought about the all the green stuff that's all communism yeah yeah like heat, absolutely, heat absolutely. air and fuel that's <laughs> yes. windmills you got, <laughs> you're totally right, right? Right, heat yeah. and air. So, and you got fire, which is trying to be electric now. Um, and then and the fuel. That's all in the same. Hold on a second. Yeah, you know the guy that started. Uh, oh no, I can't remember one of the major co- conservationist groups that has been taken over by environmentalists. So Christians throughout history have done a lot of con- what's called conservation work. Conservationist philosophy tends to be very very close to christian understanding of you know the the world uh, of nature and but um environmentalism um is a puts a rivalry between people and the earth right um and one of the major uh conservationist groups throughout history the guy running it um he got run out and he said look 
this is this whole environmental ventilist movement is a watermelon. It's green on the outside, but red on the inside. This is just this Oof. is the way that the way that communists are getting into your home is through environmental scare tactics because you you need scarcity, envy, and rivalry. Right. So the same thing, modern environmentalist um, movements encourage us to think in term in in terms of nature and and resources um, it's the same thing politically with communism is envy rivalry and limited resources and we've got to fight all three with an understand with generosity um with the uh an understanding of you know celebrating our neighbor's victories Right. And Oof. then t- taking away the envy. Right. So uh, gratefulness. Right. That's that's the only way to really fight communism. Oh, we're in trouble. We're doomed. <laughs> <laughs> if generosity and celebrating our neighbor's victories is the way that we're going to get out of this. Um, uh, uh which is funny because it's exactly what J. Cole thought he needed to he needed to do in order to be able to have inspiration, right? He needs I need to celebrate right. somebody else's victories. I need to celebrate this guy's victory. Here goes this go win, right? And he made himself a part of his victory by doing something for him, not expecting right. anything else back from it. And that's hard for man, and I, I got I'm gonna get in trouble. Um let me not say all the things. Look, if you look at the field right now. This is what this is going to go back to Crowder. The evangelical media empires are all fractured and none of them want to celebrate anybody's victories in a real way. And I'm not saying there's no such thing as healthy competition. I get away capitalism, but we are at the point where we're fracturing ourselves so much off from each other that we're making factions. Let me try and explain this. Steven Crowder said we're getting um, uh, subscription fatigue. Okay. Yeah. And, And what he means by that is that everybody has a subscription out there now that you can sign up on. Right. I can think of six just in our circles with evangelicalism that I'm close to. And the competition between them, there's nothing wrong with the competition. I'm not, don't hear me saying it's bad for competition. But what it ends up doing when you start talking about this fatigue, you got Daily Wire, you got The Blaze, you got Fox, you got, um, you know, uh, other small, you got InfoWars, you got all these different groups, right? Um, that are all kind of separate. And now when somebody says, okay, I only have $15, right? <laughs> Where am I going to throw my money in? to make the most amount of impact and be entertained and engaged the same way I'm picking daily wire. Now, because I picked the daily wire, when I put my money there, it's not that I become enemies of everybody else, but I want where I put my money at to actually have an impact. So I'm going to defend my investments into right. this entity uh, against all others, <laughs> because that's where I think is the best. And so I become, a DW a night, right? 
And yeah. anything that comes against it, I'm going to fight. And so it creates direct factions against each other who are supposed to be on the same team. And you get tribal warfare. Yeah. Which is what broke okay. out. It, and I think it's it's because we don't have... I mean, I think that Christendom was the solution to tribal warfare the first time. Well, it's happening with the Christians right now. I don't know. You know. I know. I know. But do you know, are there Christians defending Christendom anywhere? <laughs> right. There's no, you well, don't have. Well, to be fair, they I mean, you think have, that they you are. Have a, <laughs> I, well, I think if you even said, hey, let's we should restore Christendom, most of them would say, oh, no. Because they're more nationalist than they are Christian. Well, it, that is the movement right now is to restore Christendom with now. nationalism. Yeah, right. They, those two I, aren't different. <laughs> nationalism was the, was the road <laughs> out of Christendom the first time. <laughs> You're messing with me now, but na- I am the first time. The nationalism was was um, that was ha- how the secularists. Decentralized or broke up Christendom the first time was nationalism. That was the right. secularist move to um, to break down Christendom so that it could be conquered a piece at a time by secularism. And, and, and because Christianity was where people were putting their nationality. That's right. their identity. That was their identity. Their identity, yeah, was 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 wrapped up in their was being received in their baptism. Right. 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 That and so God, God's name is on me. And he, and so I am a part of the, um, and cause it, and it wasn't, it's not even just a worldwide faith, right? The great cloud of witnesses it's that has gone before me, the, the, those that have died and are waiting in heaven for the resurrection, those that will come in the future, I'm a part of this um, galactic, uh, intergalactic. Come on, inter intergalactic, um, inter time. You know, across time and space, this empire of Jesus that um, that is the that all of the angels submit to, and the planets are a part of uh, that. So the Christendom was just a reflection of a greater hierarchical um, cosmos. So, and nationalism had to get rid of that because they couldn't control them the way they wanted to. Right? They couldn't go. They couldn't. They couldn't go to straight. Well, individualism wasn't having any sort of effect on that, but nationalism, right, finally did. crack well, that that up into pieces now some of that is just because the health of the church um the the dead things don't rot right you, um you, it doesn't matter how many how many um maggots you put onto something that's alive they don't eat things that are alive what you had in christendom was uh a, it was dead and so it began to rot from the inside and nationalism was um, the philosophical, so um, political way out of Christendom that secularists so, pushed. So, 
you know, though, Jason, let me say this. I think we are so illiterate or even so far past that that nationalism might be a step closer to Christendom. <laughs> oh, it really could be. Yeah. I'm, We're so secular. Is, you know what I mean? Like, right. So th- we might be, uh, yeah, uh, nationalism, perhaps it's the road back in. It's you know, going the other I, way. Yeah, be, that's what, I, that's right? what I'm, I'm thinking. I, I'm happy to have those have those conversations and debates, and but I don't want to have them without people understanding that nationalism the first time is not the solution. The the first version of nationalism is not the solution. So, um, uh, you know, I'm, I mean, you know me. I'll talk to anybody about anything and. And happy to have the conversation. People and, don't want to talk to you. Um, people don't want to talk to you. I realize that right now. People don't want to talk to you. I, did, I don't know what's wrong with you. I did learn that. Yeah. They don't want to talk to you. <laughs> that's, that's fine. I, I'm busy anyway. But um, but, <laughs> I, but I think that if we don't recognize, um, if, if we're not aware, if we don't recognize um, the way that nationalism was the way out of Christendom, that nationalism um, did have... Uh, it grew up at the same time as um, as evolution. It grew up at the same time as the um, the invention of race, the invention of of uh, um, kind of the secularization of of uh, <clears throat> the economy. Um, all of those things all grew up at the same time. And nationalism Wait, was one of the things that grew up at the same time as all of that. So secularization of the economy. Right. So, you know, in the middle ages, um, one of the things that the church spent t- its time discussing was what does it look like? What is a How is a Christian economy? Sp- how do you make the economy specifically Christian? Right? How, what does it look like for the economy the way that people um, spend their money in exchange and, you know, how do you uh, derive from the scriptures and from um, wisdom, a Christian economy that stands out as explicitly Christian. So they have, they were having those discussions all the time. Um, You had both a conservative and a progressive version of a secularization happen at the same time that you had, uh, you know, Darwin writing and Karl Marx writing. And, you know, that was all at the same time. So that, that the secularizing movement uh, that was going on, nationalism was a part of that. Right. So you didn't have, you, you started to say, well, he's a pastor. He doesn't, he shouldn't be addressing economics. Right. (laughs) That you didn't say that in the middle ages the pastor address, whatever the Bible talks about, right? And economics is one of the things the Bible talks about. How is it that you treat your neighbor? How do you love one another with the way you spend and don't spend? How do you, you know, the um, price gouging, um, how do you, if, if you're not allowed to um, keep somebody's, a poor person's cloak at, uh, overnight, if, because you took a loan on it, um, you, does that affect the way that we as Christians um, price bread in a famine, for example, you know, they were having those discussions um, 
what does it look like to have an explicitly Christian economy in which we know Jesus is the one that's king over this economy? Um, that you start getting people saying, well, hey, you're a pastor. You should stick to your specialization mm. <laughs> as nationalism arises, right? We leave the economy and we leave politics to the experts. You know, that's what scares me about the new, the new nationalism is that a lot of two kingdom guys are the ones who are in front of it. So that's going to come back to that at the end of the day, because that's exactly so, the same sort of sec secularization of economics. Yeah. It has to be. Right. Like that's and, it's going to go that way. Yeah. Well, because the two kingdom theology, the modern two kingdom theology um, is just Kant's metaphysic hanging around Christian and in, in Christian circles. So, oh, man, we don't even have time for you to flesh that. one. I know. <laughs> you, but you did that on purpose. Um, I know. So so uh, I mean, to this day, if you s search my name on the Internet, that clip um, from cross politics is what comes up. So nobody wants to have <laughs> full conversations anyway. <laughs> I just want to check and make sure. Does any, has anybody called to have you on their show yet about that whole thing? Nobody's nobody called yet. Uh, no, not about that. I mean, I still have gone on some storytelling podcasts and poetry podcasts and yeah. stuff like that. That's the so. good stuff. No, it doesn't matter anyway. That stuff that wasn't, I mean, is it? Yeah, whatever. Who cares? The, yeah. the, those are the, the the storytelling ones are the ones that really matter. You know, the although I, Jason, I felt like I could have turned off everything right after you said generosity and celebrating each other's wins is how we get out of this. Man, I know yeah. that's the truth. I can, I've said it before on the show. Trying to apologia, Doug, the way that they treated us when we got started. Those were the only two like that. You know what I mean? They, they were the only yeah. two that was like that. Everybody else has, and it's so weird, um, without saying it has considered us a threat or afraid of what we might say that might hinder their audience. And I know that we don't all agree on everything. We, we got things we disagree on, but I can see another Christian brother who is doing good work and say, man, y'all need to check that guy out, man, or check these people out. These are, right. these are good folks. These are, and it's this whole reason that I, will not and will always stand behind founders like that's they have been if i was a reformed baptist there wouldn't be any other place that i would be at except for with those guys down there I, I, it doesn't right you know and the way the pca church is going if you're a presbyterian you'd be better off there too <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's just that's the reality of it but it's i can see the successes i can see the fight and when i see godly christian brothers engage into a fight what are the last thing i want to do is be silently supportive. That is dangerous. I don't like the silently yeah. supportive because nobody knows where you stand at. You know, right? Um, and well, there and, is. And he, so one of the things I think, though, that's interesting is when you look at like, um, like the uh, the PCA, um, it it just had a pretty major win um, with with the uh right folks from the folks that were to in missouri the, yeah the folks Re revoice that were doing the revoice all left right yeah and yeah. what and the guys that had been working on that case had said over and over guys we're working on it be patient we're trying to do it the right way right mm. they had the major win um 
and Good all point. of the people all of but all of the people what made me what disappointed me was all of the people that had been so vocally in opposition you need to just take care you know, like you should have there you need an all-out campaign you guys need to be all over social media denouncing all this and they're like we are trying to do this the way that our denomination has agreed to do it we're trying to be <laughs> the conservatives here who see yeah. a problem agree it's a problem and do it the right way i haven't seen people come out in support and say hey guys you were right you know what right. they or have at least- because it's not or at least come Go out ahead. and say, did you hear about how successful the PCA has been in removing and eradicating this disease out of, they had a surgery. Yeah. It was a long right. they had surgery. A surgery and it was, it was a long and was surgery successful. and it was successful. Right. So we should be, no, I, we should be rejoicing and I, and the, but it's not getting the attention. It hasn't. Um, no, I have and, to agree with you. And, and that's, and, and, you know, I look at that and but I hold think, on. Let me, oh, okay, let me push that's back part on for that. the, it's part for the course, but well, no, I also let me push think. Back. Let me push back because here's the deal, Jason. They weren't noisy about the idea of it happening anyway. <laughs> right. So <laughs> they, they haven't been as loud about what they've done. They've kind of said, yeah, Hey, no, that, we got it. That might be we true. We got it. Leave that us alone. And so we didn't know, we wouldn't even know if they won or not. <laughs> yeah. But I think you know, though, so, that there were the people that were. Greg Johnson was louder than everybody else. Yeah. Right. That's how it popped up. That is how that is how it popped up. But at the same time, you have when the the accusers that came in and said you are not dealing with it. um, Have not come back and said, "Okay, you told us that you were dealing with it. And obviously, you know, you were trying to deal with it through the proper channels. And that did the job that worked right. It, It accomplished what you said it would accomplish. The accusers haven't come back and said, hey, I know wait, we we said that it wasn't going to work and we were wrong. Well, no, I, no, I don't think that's actually how it happened. I think what happened was Greg Johnson and his ilk popped up and started talking real loud. PCA has been over there fanning the flames of uh, Tim Keller out in New York and didn't know what was going on in Missouri. A bunch of other people <laughs> said, true. yeah. It said, hey, do y'all know what's going on in Missouri? Why you over here giving praise and worship to Tim Keller? And we're like, hey, hey, hey. And I think the PCA said, you know what? You're right. You're right. Give us a second. We'll deal with it. And then never told everybody we dealt with it. We dealt with it. Yeah. I mean, it no, was it was public and it might be because think, I'm in the PCUSA that it was public to me. But I think well, it no, was I, public when the whole thing went down. But it wasn't. We had to only reason we were paying attention to it was because of the Greg Johnson stuff. But I don't know anybody in the right. PCA that that when we they said, hey, we're dealing with it, that we I think remember us saying like, man, they're dealing with they're pushing back on this. But I think a lot of people took the cues and say, all right, then if you say you're going to handle it, we're going to let you handle it and got quiet. And then once it was handled. It was like, hey, guess what we did? So this is probably the most public that yeah. I've seen anybody from the PCA but, say. Hey, but it was it's only been a couple handled. of weeks ago that it. It was only a couple of weeks ago that it finally, or a month completed. ago, at least, wasn't it? A month ago, yeah. And I, and, well, that, you know, George Grant. I think George Grant did a good job of. I shared. I shared his. Saying, um, yeah, coming out and and saying, hey, you know, because he he had done a good job of saying, I I talked personally to the people whose responsibility it is. Yeah, they are going through the proper channels. 
we yeah. have to let them do that. Let's wait and see. And so he came there out. There were a said, lot of good pastors doing that. There were a lot of good pastors yeah. who were at work in that. But the, yeah, but I think that there is there were other people. That I think that they were rejoicing in glee at the downfall of the PCA. Um, that was sure that was sure. unfortunate to watch. So, but like you know, um, I know that going through the whole process um, here in the Northwest. It proved out. Um, it, it it proved things out out here as well. So, I mean, I think there there were a number of churches that ended up leaving because they were like, "Oh, apparently we're not progressives aren't welcome here," and right, <laughs> <laughs> but that sort of thing. No, you it's like, not- yeah, repeat. Like, yeah, hey, come yeah, don't don't let the door hit you on the way out. You know, the, whatever <laughs> it is. The um, but be but I, 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 process, I agree with you. But doing the process is you know going through the process the right way is I think a really important part of the surgery um, that needs to happen and it needs to happen on a regular basis. And I think that the real heart of the denomination is the pulpits of the of the denomination and that's something that um that that i hope was that there were pulpits that were reinvigorated to preach controversial truth <laughs> i i question that still but i believe because the ones yeah who no I don't, I don't know that's it. what i said i hope yeah. I, I hope you know like um like this last this last sunday are, we're finishing up Romans and we had a, um, the pastor just paused at the, at Junia um, and the word deaconess and explained that this is the, that uh, you can have somebody who's a helper and somebody who's known by the apostles and not be in, or in an ordained office because the ordained offices are clearly only for men, right? Like I've always been in a church where that those truths are just unashamedly, preached and declared and um but i know that's not the case everywhere um and and so i i'm i'm hoping that this conflict has relit fires that were dimming and going out but i I mean i don't know i don't know one way or the other i just I, i i have to give this to you you are so right you are so right and and even though i disagree necessarily maybe with the interpretation one of the things I got convicted of recently um, was when people go through battles and people get into the front part and see the front side of the battle and everybody draws their lines and then everybody goes away. But the individual who's still standing still has to go through it. He's still yeah. Athanasius. Right. And I've seen this so many times with Pastor Wilson. Um, he will go through a battle. He will fight the battle. He would be right about the issue and nobody cares, even though he's fighting the battle. And then when it comes back again and everybody else has to fight his battle, no one says Doug called this 20, 30 years ago. And we didn't stand next to him when he was fighting it because we thought he was a racist and he was missing the point. And then here goes critical race theory, social justice gospel and all this stuff and Marxism and communism coming right back in. And now we've got to come up with a statement on social justice and the gospel. Right. And Doug right. been right about this for 30 years, which and 40 years, which is why he started a school, right? And <laughs> and and so I've watched and then I've watched nobody come back and say, Doug, you were right. We should have stood with you. Right. And and I'll I'll even point to myself, I've watched even little scrimmages, the whole Rachel Denhollander thing that I got into over the over the trailer. That was two three 2019. 
and we saw that coming then with the you know the whole SBC being maneuvered into this position and we were calling it and I put the trailer out and said there are principalities and powers and working <laughs> through this particular ideology right and right everybody was like how could you call her a devil it's like is that what you thought okay uh you missed the point which is why you're hurting right now and nobody has come back to say guess what you were right yeah you were right you called it and we should have stood with you and i'm sorry you were right they haven't done that with founders right they haven't done that with me and i have been just as guilty of watching certain battles happen and not coming back and and saying to the people you are right you were right. Yeah. Praise God for you. Um, I, I'm I'm standing with you. Am I thankful for your fight that you had and that you fought right. by yourself and standing by yourself? And I just want you to know you're not standing by yourself anymore. Right. Like so. Right. And until we start encouraging each other like that and start celebrating those kind of victories, even past victories. I'm in my heart. I'm going back now and I'm like, OK, I need to examine some things and go tell people, hey, you know what? I didn't stand with you publicly here, but I was privately cheering you on. I'm sorry. Right. Yeah. And and some of it was that I I didn't know actually how to unjudge a situation. I didn't see the plays in front of me. I wasn't as educated. And because of your standing, I am now. You won't be standing alone in this. You know, and until we. So I think you're right. We do need to come back and say to those people who won this battle, praise God. I see you. Way to go, you guys. Getting that cancer out of there. Amen, PCA. There's some fight and life in you. And we're happy to see you guys engage. You know, I think you're right. There needs to be. This needs to be blown up that the PCA has won this battle, right? right. You got plenty more I to think fight. What happens is, is it is we treat it more like the the um, you know this police situation where the fact that it happened is, is evidence the that the yeah. the it is the problem rather than saying okay the fight is going to come. It's just a question of do we fight like godly men. Um, and fight in faith and uh, and stand right in the face that are we faithful through it not is so the fact that the pca is having to fight off modernism having to fight off egalitarianism the fact that they are isn't a problem right and but it's being treated like it is the fact that there is a fight is a problem that it shouldn't have ever come to a fight that we should have had laws in place that kept us from ever having to stand faithfully in a fight. Um, well, and, I mean, and, I, I, I got to push back on that a little bit. Can I say it differently? Yeah. Men who haven't observed the and, 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 and practice the law that they have in front of them is the reason they have this fight so deep inside their camp, right? Because I, there is I a fight. Think, yeah. I, I do think f- that it got it got. But but I I honestly think it's because we have tried to fight it, we haven't fought it, w- and on the front lines, right? The right. Is the front lines. Um, we've misplaced the front lines. But but how y'all how when you have how you get a wolf? So we had to, we had to fight right it. We had to fight it in the camp because we yeah. didn't fight it at the front lines. Agreed. Right, and so again, I, there is the fact that we have to fight is an inescapable reality. What's happening right now is all the enemies of Christ are getting put at the, at his foot, right? And so you're going to have to fight. That's it. You, duh, yeah. right? <laughs> but when I am in my barracks and the guy next to me has got a gun pointed at the guy next to me, I'm like, yeah. how did he get in here? 
right? It, 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 it was it was a little bit like you know, you, you turn to your left and the the guy in uniform with you is hailing Hitler and, and yeah, yeah, and you're what like, the, wait, what? Ain't nobody what vet him. Like, yeah. We have a council so, that somebody vets these people. Or how do we not know this? Yeah. You know, and it's but like, or that, what are we doing at vetting that allows this kind of thing to creep in so much in that we're having right. churches join with him to leave, you know? But that like, but those are the conversations and uh, that are, that are happening. I mean, I know that's one of the conversations that was happening at our presbytery is okay. Wait, what is so <laughs> let's pull out yeah. the entire ordination process. <laughs> let's look at it step by step and ask ourselves what's going on. Right. How, what, what are we doing? What, what does the vetting process even look like? Are we? And so, I mean, I, I am hopeful that that's a good, that's um, good. That, that's good. That other people are doing that as well. Right. So, because you can yeah. be, because you can, you can have, you know, a whole group of faithful guys, just doing doing church faithfully day in and day out and then look and somebody wasn't at their post right that's a good one point. guy wasn't at their that's post and then they look around and they're like what oh my gosh the fight's right here and then they faithfully fight and win that fight um to say at that point man we need to burn down the whole system um yeah, rather no, than say right. who wasn't at their post right um is right. I think the the wrong way to do it. Now, if you learn that the entire wall is is burnt down when you get to it, then you say, okay, we gotta we gotta rebuild, right? We you know the um, the psalter oh. in one hand and the sword in the other. Well, I think your your presbytery did exactly what's supposed to be done. I think a lot of other presbyteries did as well, which is saying, okay, let's pull out, pull out the book of ordination, and what that means is. We are taking responsibility for what happened. Like we yeah. are taking something we have done has allowed well, something to happen. And so we're taking responsibility for it. And we're going to fix it. And, yeah. and I, just like a, a father who gets rebuked for his kids being disobedient or acting a certain way or not being godly. He's like, well, there's something going on in my house. I'm going to fix it. I promise you that. Right. right? And it's like and when you say that, it's like, OK, you go you go do your thing, dad. Trust you. You, yeah. you know what to do. And I think there's it. all, all right. And there. And there's also like there's a jurisdiction issue too, where you say the first thing you have to do is look around at your closest jurisdiction and say, "Are we in order right here?" Right. right. I can't run off right. and fix General Assembly. That's without right. saying, "Okay, wait, how's my presbytery doing?" I can't run off and fix presbytery without saying, "Okay, how's my church doing?" I can't fix my church without saying, "Okay, how's my family doing?" And I can't fix my family without starting and saying like how's my spiritual life, right? How am I doing with the Lord? Am I, you know, I had um, a very, very strong conviction during the confession of sin um, this last Sunday uh, about um, just trusting, trusting in wealth. Lord, have I, am I um, just cause I've been worrying a lot, nervous a lot. And so it's confessing my worry and then just convicted, oh my gosh, I think I am, even though I don't have wealth, I think I'm trusting in it. Like these things would go away if I was making a bit more money. If I, you know, and so just confessing that, you know, and the and the confession is, um, Lord, forgive me for that and remind me that I know and 
truly believe that even if God took everything, I would still praise him. Right. So mm. that, that verse in Job and Ecclesiastes, um, Lord, though you slay me, I will praise you. So that was how I ended my confession. Lord, I know this is actually true. Um, and then <laughs> crashed the car and got robbed. And it's absolutely a connection between the the digging work that the spirit is doing in my heart during the confession of sin and the assurance of pardon and the testing this week. How are you going to respond to the car being taken? How are you going to respond to some to being uselessly robbed? Right. Twice in two weeks, <laughs> uselessly robbed. They took one crutch. I had crutches in the back of my truck and they took one. They broke the window and took a single crutch. They didn't even take the pair of crutches. Like what's what? Is, I would have given you a, both of them. You didn't just have to have one. Yeah, yeah, ask, yeah. I would have taken you. I would. Yeah. You're, you're like, this is not um, they didn't they didn't steal anything of mine of value. They just so you, you look at it and say, OK, Lord. I, I confessed truly my trust and wealth and that I will praise you no matter what. And so I know um, that this is an opportunity to say, okay, Lord, I'm praising you in spite of the fact that this is a, this is <laughs> your day. You're just taking stuff. So I mean, it, the, the, there's different ways of, um, and I, and I know that that's the only way to really dig in. If you say, okay, Lord, I want my family to be right and to be a blessing to the church. I want my church to be right, be a blessing to the Presbytery. I want my Presbytery to be right, be a blessing to the denomination, the denomination to be right, be a blessing to Christendom as a whole. Christendom to be right, to be a blessing to um, be a blessing to the nation, the nation to be right, be a blessing to the world. Um, you, that You've got to start with your jurisdiction, which is my own greedy heart that's trusting in wealth. <laughs> So, you know, it's always, you know, one of the things I really enjoy about having these conversations with you, Jason, is that somehow almost every conversation, the chiasm fits. There's no <laughs> way I would have thought when we started talking and you getting into a car accident and getting robbed was going to somehow connect to egalitarianism, uh, ontological economic realities. <laughs> and an egalitarian ec economy and secular economy and then to the pca beating out homosexuality and then come back to the fact that you got in a car accident and st stolen ipods <laughs> i would have never i couldn't write that story and so right. many times i've seen god write that story on this show over and over and over again <laughs> the chiasm just happens i always wait for it i always wait for it right. and i, I just like oh it's happening you know, it's coming living in the moment. Yeah, you know it's coming back around. It's the kind of world we live in. Yeah. If if um if people want to read your egalitarian, uh, what is is it a a part in the book or is it introduction or epilogue? So, what was it? It's intended. Is it intended to be the appendix to a book that I was writing on the cross? Um. So, on um how the the our the how the cross reshapes reality. Um, so I've been working on that book. It's wait, um, what we haven't had that conversation yet. Have we? <laughs> no. So it's reshapes a um, reality. The it's um, it, it was called 
the, I, th- I think it was going to be called curse the, Jesus, the curse breaker, something like that. Um, and how the uh, un- understanding that how the, the covenant shape that reality being covenant shaped um, means that the work of Adam and the work of the second Adam actually are cosmological acts. So I was working on this book. It's basically, I mean, I'd basically done all the research and it is all ready to write. Um, but the, this was the second appendix. Um, and then, you know, can we spinal meningitis and I never finished it. Oh, <laughs> so the reason I was bringing that up is because you actually shared it inside of the app on the Knox Unplugged comments. You actually shared that document there. And if anybody wants to read it, which I recommend everybody goes and reads it, um, and that it was really good. And it was kind of really the b- basis and foundation of everything we were talking about here. Um, so I just want to encourage everybody to go read that. And I don't know if we said this on the show before, but this last Christmas, I think I had people send you an email. Thank you for Knox Unplugged. So many emails. I yeah. was overwhelmed at the audience that we have. And I don't take it for granted. I'm just in here talking to you about stuff that I need help with. But uh, I, I just don't take for granted. And I'm so grateful. Thank you all for sending those emails in. Um, it was so encouraging. I don't know about, I was super really encouraged and they weren't even to me. Uh, <laughs> I was just encouraged <laughs> by everybody and, and how much of a blessing that it was to a wide variety of people from different backgrounds and um, cultures. Um, and uh, it, it was just huge. And I just want to say thank you guys for listening. Um, and, you know, we're trying to figure out how to be more of a blessing to the, our audience. We're trying to think of things to do that can build people up um, with what with what Knox Unplugged is. And so um, that going to the app and getting that is just one of the writings. I wanted to let you know, Jason, uh, this is going to be a smack in a, in a high praise. I really enjoy your writing. I don't like your titles, but I love your writing. <laughs> it's funny. I was like, man, he should have gave this. A, the only time I really like is no one doubts a belly laugh. That's the one I'm like. <laughs> Add to be everything else is like yeah it's kind of nose it's like you know i think you've put so much into the book that by the time you're ready for the title it's like ah people will read it it's good yeah <laughs> I, I don't know what it is no, it is true i don't always um what I mean, I the confession of funk? <laughs> like what yeah, kind of title West. is that like what's mr confession of funk? <laughs> it was a great podcast too it was a great <laughs> podcast but yeah nobody there i don't i'm not good at finding the the entry point you know that's why that's why these conversations took take two hours is because i'm not good at finding the entry point no no that's not true uh well you might not be good at finding the entry point but they take two hours because i need a lot of help uh <laughs> I, I think i'm just the entry point and then you're like well this is a mess and let me put some things in place <laughs> in here and it takes two hours to get me to understand um and it takes two hours because this is really how real dialogue happens this is, you know, for us, yeah. this is for me, I learn like this. I need that kind of conversation to take place where I can say, wait, break that down. How does that make sense? Everything we talked about is was in motion. And I think a lot of times people have didactic conversations that don't have the application in tucked inside of the 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 teaching where for us, when we're having knocks unplugged, I think it works for a lot of people because they have a lot of theology, but then applying it directly to the situation with the cosmological worldview is 
it, those things are happening simultaneously when we talk because that's the kind of conversation that we have, which is why I'm like, right. oh, I got to share this with people because I think a lot of people are like me. They might have good education theologically, don't know how to apply it, don't understand the cosmological realities of it. And because when we're talking about J. Cole, we're not talking about something else. We're talking right. about cosmology. We're talking about a biblical economy. We're talking about all the things that uh, you would normally just have a straight didactic conversation about and kind of contained everything's touching. Um, And that's why it takes two hours is because, because everything is touching. We're trying to show, I think you're trying to show how it's all touching from one particular center point, right? A cosmological Christian worldview touches everything. Right. Because that's why it takes two hours. Yeah, because reality is, um, and is an interconnect is an interconnected. Well, because reality is interconnected, and it all is interconnected by its relationship to Christ. Right, Jesus right. is the integration point of it all, so it all fits together. So, yeah, it's not your fault that it's two hours. Which, speaking of which, <laughs> I got to go run and have lunch with my daughter. So, oh, fun, man. Hey, hey oh, next, maybe next book, time. Are, are we telling people which book? Yeah, but I kind of want to talk about your how the um, cross reshapes reality. Kind of want to. I'm interested in what that is. Okay. So, but yeah, we can. <laughs> so maybe we talk about that next week. Okay, sounds good. <laughs> well, what book did you want to read if you weren't going to? Then want to talk about that. Well, I was thinking the preface to Paradise Lost. We just start there. Oh, that'll work. We perfect. Talking about hierarchy. Yeah. Okay. All right. Let's do that. Pre- preface by C.S. Lewis. Right. Yeah, Preface to Paradise Lost by C.S. Lewis. Let's do that. All right, Jason.